Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. LR here with Benji. We've gone to Paris, both of us. We're back in our respective locations. I had a pretty interesting journey, maybe some story time later, um, back and forth. And we went to Paris for the Tour de France and the Tour de France Femme Avec Zwift route reveals. We have the men's route we're doing now, probably be about an hour. Tomorrow morning, same time, we're recording the Tour de France Femme Avec Zwift uh, route reaction video. So you'll have two long potties to get you through the start of the next week. And we've had no complaints about the in-depth Giro one. So we'll be going in-depth today into the men's route, which I would say initial impressions, Benji, just gauging people's reactions on Twitter or uh, DSs or people in the industry. I haven't really seen too many people saying, you know what, what a fantastic route. This has everything (laughs) I wanted from the route. I think a lot of the most reaction is kind of like, eh, a bit meh. Yeah. I think I've got the same feeling about it. The initial idea was, okay, it's a bit average. Having looked at it again, there's some parts where I'm like, oh, this is intriguing, but there's some parts where I've gone a bit more downwards with my feelings. So that's what we'll be discussing today when it comes to this parkour. And if we take a look at how this race is brought up, it's it's a race that once again starts abroad, not in France, Grand Depart in Basque Country. Uh, not in a country that's far away now. So that's at least one advantage in that sense. It's right under France. And then it basically starts heading north in, in week one towards the Pyrenees. We head through the Massif Central eventually to the Alps at the end of week two. And I think we go to the Vosges in week three, eventually landing in Paris once again after a pretty long transfer. But throughout the race, limited transfers at all. And that's what the criticism came from people as well. Because like, for months, we've been like seeing people talk about, oh, there should be less transfers in Grand Tours to make sure that it's better for the environment and so forth. And then the second that this parkour was released, the parkour that is mostly in the southern and the western part of France, they were like, okay, well, why is it only in one part of France? Well, if you want, if you want small transfers, you're going to stay in a limited part of France, I'm afraid. Or do you think that they could have done the entire tour without transfers? Um, I think, to be honest, I have no issue. I'm not French. I'm not a mayor of a small French town in Brittany (laughs) missing out on some tourism in 2023, so I don't give a fuck um, where they run it. They could run the Tour de France in America for all I care. (laughs) Um, Probably better for our product commercially if they did so (laughs) Um, because, you know, America's a big market. Anyway... I, all I care about is the profiles and the routes they put together. So wherever they go to do that, it makes no difference to me. Uh, my issue is more with, uh, well, the, the one one caveat to that is, Benji just said massive centrals, transition stages, a lot of sprint stages throughout. It's hot. 
in the centre of France in July, uh, speaking from personal experience, and it's super hot. And that means also not just during the race, they're in hotels that the uh, bring your BYO aircon uh, or fan, I would say. So that's one note to make. It's not like it's rarely blazing hot in Brittany or Normandy or in Denmark, for example. Uh, Basque country is a bit more humid, not not scorching. But yeah, that's one caveat I'd make. Um, are you, yeah, or... Is there any what any other like? Do you care that it's in one location? You're not, you're not French, Benji. I couldn't care less where it is, as long as we've got good climbs, a good parkour, a parkour that I enjoy, and that riders can work with. Because while we can criticize a parkour as much as we want, they can still be that a terrible parkour leads to an amazing race just because the riders make it amazing. But that doesn't necessarily make the route amazing. The parkour is still meh. <laughs> anyway, we'll go into it in a bit. First of all, small intro, I think there's like six flat stages, roughly six hilly stages, eight mountain stages, I think four of which are mountain finishes, a few of which next to that, that are basically a climb and a small descent to the line. We're going into it in a bit. And only one time trial. But before we head into uh, the stage-by-stage analysis, I'll throw it to you for, uh, um, let's talk about Zwift a bit, eh? Or should I talk about it? Well, yeah, you're the man who went to the Zwift offices in London because you're um somehow brexit hasn't kept benji out of the uk um you've been (laughs) in the uk a lot um what was that all about i saw you did an ftp test via it was via ramp test right you didn't do a full you didn't do a 20 minute test or 60 minute test exactly so for full context like roughly a year ago i said to myself i want to lose 10 to 15 kgs kilograms and I've been able to achieve more than that, 20 plus now, but I've stagnated a bit the last two months and I want to get that going again. I want to get my fitness level higher, but for that, I want the baseline test to be done to know what my level is at right now. And I didn't have a trainer in the UK, so I decided on my way to Paris to stop by these Zwift offices who are so kind to lend me uh, their Zwift lab. And I did a FTP test, a ramp FTP test, basically that means that you've got a five-minute free ride on your turbo trainer, and after that, it's every single minute, the watts go up 20 watts that you need to keep going, and then you see at which point you start dying on your bike. And that's exactly what happened after a, a certain period of time. I'm eventually going to make a video about it in the next two weeks, so tune in for that a bit later. But yeah, I uh, I died on my bike quite a bit. It's like... The, the thing is, what on Zwift, you've got this thing called erg mode. And erg mode makes it that you basically can't switch gears while you're doing the ramp tests. The ramp test itself switches your gears along the way and makes the resistance harder and harder to see how much you can get. But at the start, you're like, okay, this is easy. Oh, easy, easy, easy. But by the time you get to the last three, two minutes of this test, you are dying to trying yeah you're trying to get those that that cadence still going and oh i can tell you it was a a tough period of time but i very much enjoyed it my plan is simple improve my uh my uh skills over the coming months and doing that one by one by upping upping my skills by climbing more on zwift and so forth and doing a few races in real life when it comes to actual rides in real life not races let, let that be clear but uh that's kind of the plan what's your thoughts on it so you're you've achieved the weight loss goal for 2022 already so you're transitioning from like weight loss to now trying to get faster 
um, in some shape or form. As yeah. in, I'm not aiming to become a rider. I'm not aiming to become a top amateur cyclist or something. I just want to be a bit better at cycling. And I want to make some videos about my journey along the way. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would encourage people. I think the ramp test on Zwift is the way to go. I remember I used yep. to do... 20 minute tests and then you do you do some pre-fatiguing and then you take 95 percent of your 20 minute value and then you say that's your ftp i would question unless you're a very serious rider semi-pro doing a lot of long 60 minute climbs or 20 minute climbs i would question the validity of the 95 percent of 20 minutes um and i think the ram test is pretty good um, but bear in mind, sometimes or usually your indoor ramp test or FTP value will be lower than if you did it outdoors. But I think doing a ramp test outdoors is, uh, I, I don't know how easy that would be, to be honest. <laughs> I think so as well. And the factor was also, it's, it's more beginner friendly to ramp test compared to the uh, FTP yeah, test because you thing. don't have to think about oh, how, how should I pace these 20 minutes? So that's my thoughts yeah. on it. So if you want to do your ramp test to start, your baseline uh, level, to know your baseline level before riding a bit more, then hop on Zwift and try it out. I think you can find it on Zwift.com to start your free trial. Indeed. Anyway, Zwift were at the event as well, uh, I believe, for the Tour de France Femme Vague Zwift route. But the men's route, as Benji said, will now do our stage-by-stage -stage analysis and then a summing up at the end. Okay, let's... Let's make some assumptions before we get into this. Pagatch is going. I'm assuming Vingegaard and Roglic go. Wout van Aert, I don't know, 50-50, like in the Giro. There he goes. Van there you go. Okay, Benji's declared it. Van der Poel, he has to go because a stage starts from his grandfather, his late grandfather's Binion. house. Binny's going. Okay. Yep. Uh, Philippe. Remco, we don't know. And who else is good? Bernal says he'd like to do a Grand Tour. Pitcock? Uh, Pitcock will do it. He was at the presentation. Cavendish, Maybe. that's up in the air. <laughs> With B&B <laughs> having cancelled their press conference on Wednesday. So that's... And then he was to, he, we saw a photo on Instagram of Cavendish riding with the Factor Bike CEO. So then the Israel rumors started, but then maybe Factor are going to be and be who knows. But Canva wanting to be go to this to this race, uh, and yeah, so they're the main riders uh, that and the assumptions. Anyway, stage one from Bilbao to Bilbao, they had a beautiful graphic of the dog in front of the Guggenheim Museum. Can recommend. Uh, I like Bilbao, and this is a puncher's course. 184.5 k's, three and a half k altitude meters uh, gain, and it's a little bit more easier at the start. But then the last four climbs are four k's, four and a half percent. But that's I think got a descent in the middle. Four k's, seven percent. Cote de Vivero was that in the Vuelta recently, and yeah. then the Cote de Pike. Uh, maybe it's PK. I don't. Maybe it's Pike. Two K is ten percent. That's quite difficult. And then a descent of four mm, Ks. Then a flattish run into a one K five percent punch in Bilbao. I think this is clearly a goes one of two ways. It is an attack by someone 
that's not Alaphilippe or MVP or Wout Van Aert on that 2K 10% climb and they stay away. But I think most likely is an uphill sprint in Bilbao won by Matthew van der Poel. Ooh la la, I see it happening to be honest. Now, one factor that I want to add next to it, this is that these first two stages are very visibly a factor of the organizers, the Basque Country people trying to make their classics that they have into Tour de France stages because the Vivera, Alto del Vivero, and also the Circuit uh, de Pig Bidea is uh, both from the uh, Circuito de Ghecho race. So that combination comes straight from that into a Tour de France stage. So I like seeing that. And I agree that it's most likely to be multiple riders heading over the top of that final climb, what they call the Côte de Pique. And after that, we can see if that uh, works out to be a sprint or whether an Alaphilippe can ride away on that bike video, for example. Because Pique Alaphilippe can do it, but whether we'll see Pique Alaphilippe again is to be decided in the next year, is my opinion. Do you think Pique Alaphilippe can ride away there? I I don't think so. I think it's it's not. It's the first stage. Big teams, trade teams, world champs is a hundred k's longer. When he, you know, twenty twenty one or Fossil twenty twenty Imola. Fossil loop was the final climb, though. Yeah, not um, not ten k's cresting ten k's from the finish. So I think it depends on how technical that descent is too. But it looks a little bit false flat downhill for the first little bit of it, maybe three k's. I think the big engines. I mean, to be honest, uh, Van Aert and, and Van der Poel might neutralize each other on that bit. But no, I think it's an uphill sprint. Do you think Binny? This is harder than this finish is two percent harder. It's harder than the Giro finish, which Van der Poel beat him in. Then how do you see him stack? He survives, I, th- I agree, but how do you see him stacking up? I think he's going to be sprinting with the best on this stage. It's also partially built on hope, what I'm saying, but I think it's 80% that I believe he can do it, 20% that I hope he can do it, because it would be cool to see. I think uh, Binion will probably increase his level a tiny bit towards next year, and I think on this stage he'll be fighting for the yellow jersey with Van Aert, with a, a Vanderpool, with a... Pogacar with an Alaphilippe, those are the names I'm immediately thinking of. Roglic at peak could also be sprinting here for the victory, but I think it's not really the name I shout as the rider that can punch the victory on this stage personally, but he might, he's likely to be up there with a Pogacar if a Pogacar makes a move on the final climb. Anyway, Do you see any GC? I, well, the GC riders will be active just because they want to be in there with the punchers yeah. for the stage, so I think that's the aspect there there might be a few gc riders that are caught off guard not necessarily caught off guard but that might have a bad day and lose like 10 15 seconds or something on the stage 2k is 10 percent. say you get gapped like you know and then the big bunch moves you know, 15 20 guys and yumbo are leading out wow or something yeah you could lose 20 seconds before benji preview stage two i'll just uh, let people know so keto to get has been the scene of uh her, some of the worst tactics in cycling the past two years from bora back-to-back years where they had two riders in a small group and h- horrendous stuff so if you, it's on youtube i think the full <laughs> lives the streams of the, those finishes i'd encourage you to watch in the off season but sorry stage two benji yes stage two is actually uh Fairly similar in the sense that it is also a stage that the Basque organizers made from a classic into a Tour de France stage. It's basically a, 
a mini Classical San Sebastian? Is that a, a viable explanation with the Jaiskebel as the final climb, which is uh, in a stage that is in total 211 kilometers long, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the longest stage of this Tour de France. And this final climb is basically stopping at around 17k from the finish line, then a descent and a 10-kilometer flat to the line. I don't think the climbs that happened before the Jaiskebel are going to matter at all. So I think Jaiskebel is a decider here. I think we're still at a point in the race where breakaways will not get the lead to win the stage like this. I think this is a uh, peloton stage, and I think it's punchers versus GC riders territory. Will the punchers be able to follow the GC riders? I think the Jaiskebel is not the craziest climb, right? So 8 kilometers, 5.3%. I think... A Von Aert should survive this. A Van der Poel should survive this. Yeah. Okay. A Binyam should survive this. Now, that, this is where the interesting part gets. <laughs> so there's no Erlites climb, 4Ks, 10%, where Remco dropped Yates and San Sebastian this year. It's Hayeskabel's the setup climb but before Erlites and Murgil Tontora, which they had in San Sebastian this year, where Viveika paced big group on other direction. This is from the Honda Ribia side, beautiful beach on the French border back towards San Sebastian. Um, Van Aert, Van der Poel survive. Jasper Philipson, no. does, he su- does he survive? I don't believe Michael it. Matthews, does he survive? These are so I think clearly Jakobsen Melier types should not survive. And the question for me, I think this is a sprint of a group of 30 uh, in San Sebastian, unless like there's a Mark Soler attack. But I, I just think if you're Alperson or Yumbo with Wout or Van der Poel or Intermarche or Pinium, you're locking this stage down. Um, so yeah. my question mark is which sprinters survive and which don't. I think it's more leaning towards the punchers than the sprinters in my eyes. And even a, a Pogacar will be fighting for the stage wins. I think, uh, I think we're eager to look at a 20-man group and not necessarily a 30-man group, that, that kind of stuff. Because that's the difference between a versatile sprinter surviving or not. I think this might be made difficult enough to make sure that the versatile sprinters don't survive necessarily. Now, if I do look at this... I'm curious at a, a Peo Bilbao and so forth. I don't know how technical the descent is, but I'd love to see him do something in Basque Country and try and achieve something here, maybe on the first stage as well. That I do find intriguing. But also next to that, I um I agree that it's likely not two, three riders going to the finish line on this stage. So that basically closes the uh the two-day start at Basque Country because the next day we start in Basque Country, but we don't enter, right? Yeah, so it goes from Spanish to French Basque Country. And yeah, the, the Hayeskabel descent is technical enough, steep sections towards San Sebastian. Uh, but yeah, we go from uh, Amorbieta, Echano to the to Bayonne in French Basque Country. Now, this looks like the Jasper Philipson stage delight um, with a 4K, 3.1% climb, 189Ks. I really think... Jakobsen or Cavendish or Demar. Demar, I think, survives this. Uh, he should if he goes. He's sort of sprinter. De Grotewagen, Merlier, Jakobsen, Cavendish survive this, Benji. They really should. Twin, no, 19 kilometers, 4Ks, 4% from the Olympi finish with some ups and downs. Um, 
Hot take? Every yes. sprinter survives. Probably. <laughs> I like 4K, 3 to 4%. I don't think that's good enough with 20K to go to drop the pure sprinters. Even a Merlier should survive this, or he's in really bad form. But also, who are they going to send? Merlier or Jakobsen? We don't know. I feel like it's more likely to be Jakobsen than Merlier at this point in uh, in my life. That's how I see it. So Jakobsen should survive this, as simple as that. And a Peterson should survive this, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't see I don't see much else on a sprint stage. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be a sprint, and maybe one sprinter in poor shape gets dropped on the steep part of that uh, coat. It's Pedersen might get trekked to pace really hard. Don't be surprised to see that. Um, I think Pedersen in good shape could even survive the Hayuskabel and win stage two, actually, uh, if no one launches it. But yeah. I think it's Jasper Philipson type stage. There's no transition day. Benji and I are going to do we're going to do odds and evens, but um, the Tour de France didn't release every stage profile, uh, which I would say in a route reveal is kind of the point is to release all the stage profiles. So <laughs> uh, a little bit irritating, frankly, um, uh, but. The stage profiles they didn't release, I am just going to assume they've said they're flat stages. I'm just going to assume they are boring stages, not even worthy of a profile. Is that your approach to it? Exactly. Stage four is an example of that. Ducks to Nogado, 182 kilometers. And we've got like this tiny profile in like our, our Tour de France books we got at the Tour de France presentation. But you can barely tell what's happening in the stage itself from that profile. So it looks flat. So I'm going to guess it's flat. And uh, it's going to be for the sprinters again. And that delivers us to the fifth stage. We're not going to do odds and evens anymore. We're just going to do one stage me, one stage you. <laughs> Paul Larin. And we've got a stage that I find very intriguing because we've had some history with the stage in the past where this is a copy paste from 2020 Tour de France stage nine, where here she was in the breakaway. Yes. I think there was one small addition to it next to the Col de Sudet. Basically, let me go over the profile quickly. 183 kilometers, 163 kilometers, sorry, big difference. Flat for the first 65 kilometers, and then we start the Col de Sudet, which is a 15 kilometer at 7% climb. After that, we've got a valley towards the final, well, there's a small climb there, but the climb that matters is about a solid 20 kilometers from the finish line, Col de Marie Blanc. We've seen that in that stage, stage nine of the Tour de France 2020. That's a stage where we had Bernal Rolich and Pogacar fighting for bonus seconds and then afterwards chasing Hirschi on the flat section. Landa as well. Do not, Land. do not silence Mikel Landa 2020 Bahrain. Actually good performance. <laughs> That's true. And we basically saw them crawl back to Hirschi, eventually Pogacar winning the stage in the sprint but when i look at the spark core colomari blanc is a fake news climb let that be clear 9.2 kilometers 7.7 percent the last half of that is really steep the last three kilometers are 12.8 12.8 10.7 percent while the first two are 3.9 4.6 and so forth so considering the last 3k where it's about to go down despite in 2020 this going to a gc rider i think this is most likely going to go to a breakaway with a fight in the peloton as well, so a, a clash on two fronts. Is that how you see it? Um, this is a message to Roman Bardet. Lose time in the Basque Country, win this <laughs> stage. Maybe maybe it's too far from the finish. That's the thing. You you forget, nah. right? 
Hard AGC. Yeah, I guess if you do 22 time trial kilometers, Godou and, and Bardet have to go for GC. Uh, if they're ever going to go for Tour de France GC, the reason 2020 might not play out the, the same way again is that was Roglic underestimating Pogacar. That was Roglic trying to distance all the other GC contenders behind him. And he did, that was the sprint. There was bonus seconds at the top of Col de Marie Blanc. Do not be surprised to see them there again uh, for the first over the top or second over the top. That was when uh, Roglic, he, Pogaccio looked behind and he nearly crashed into the back of Roglic's wheel. Roglic pulled the lion's share of that flat. He did the entire lead out in the last 1500 to keep the group of, I think, like Bade, Port, Uran, Quintana behind. He won't do that again. So this might not be as selective as it was in 2020. So I think breakaway. Um, do I think there can be gaps on 5K, 10.5%? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Which, which is the climb that McNulty crashed on the descent? Was it Sude or I don't another remember one? <laughs> the one where he went off the side. Um, was that not 2021? When he was mm. doing basing at the front of the peloton for Pogaccio in yellow? I don't know. I don't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, I think that climb that he did crash in his back. But, yep, break. Do you, I mean, if you get dropped on Marie Blanc, you're kind of fucked. <laughs> like, that means you aren't up. That means you aren't up to scratch for yep. the race. Maybe you get better because, you know. But there's a lot of climbs like Corner Marie Blanc in this race. Uh, so I think if you're getting dropped here, it's a big, big sign of uh, weakness. That's what I like about this stage is that it's the first like small filter in the race. Next to, of course, we had the first few Basque puncher stages. But this is a, a proper filter where we will see which riders are really not up to the task to do GC in this race. And I think that's good to settle the score already to see who is in play for the GC. And then afterwards we can see what's happening on the next couple of stages. But when it comes to stage six, I'm going to throw it back to you because that's a big one, eh? This is, this stage I think has been a little bit underrated. I, I think even the previous Col du Sude, you know, 15K, 7%. It's a long climb. You can hurt people on a 35 plus minute climb but this stage six is probably the hardest stage this early in a tour that i can remember for quite a while unless i'm forgetting something having the cold aspart tourmalet combo 145k is not that long so it's kind of deceiving the start is uh, there's a two and a half k six percent climb 30 k's in and then there's only 55 k's of flat so let's say an hour and 15 of racing before we're into the three climbs as spans 12 k 6.6 percent already you can thin it descent no flat then tourmalade tw- uh, 17.2 k 7.3 percent to 2100 meters with steeper sections at the end i think in sort of in the nine percent regions descent and Okay, there is a valley of 12Ks, but it is only 12Ks. And then they have the Cortere Cambas climb, which is a stepped climb. It goes 6Ks, 5%, flatter section. Then the final ramps, 5Ks, 7.5%. But even in that climb, the the steeper sections before the end, which levels off. So I think you, I think there can be real damage on this. Uh, the 
especially Benji, when if you if you have someone like Vingegaard, there's not many climbs, long climbs to make the difference against Bagacci. You kind of got to take what you've got. It doesn't matter. It's on stage six. Yes, but there is a significant difference, though. I think you agree with this, but I just want to say it. Between a stage like this and the Col de Granol stage, for example, oh, where yeah. this stage does have the Tourmalet, a high mountains climb as the second last climb. But the final climb is nor as difficult as a Col du Granon climb. The gradients are not as steep and so forth. So I think even if you smash this third three climbs, for example, if we have a start that is reverse trying to get up the road in the first 20 kilometers on the Côte de Caverne, that first uphill falls flat at 6%, so it's more than falls flat. But on that, we've got some climby types like a Geshk and so forth, trying to get in breakaways and so forth. Then we get a stronger breakaway. On the Cold Aspan, we see a certain team take over in the peloton to try and make it hard. We see early action perhaps on the Tourmalet, which I do agree that would be a cool thing to see. But the question there is like, where are they riding towards? Because are they going to drop everybody in the Tourmalet? Should they try? I think yes. And then we see Cotre, which is not as steep as a Granol, so we likely won't see uh, a Pogacar capitalizing and losing three minutes to a Vingegaard on a finish like this. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because it's like Granol was 11Ks, 9% to 2,400 meters. Completely different ball game. Here, it's just the second last climb is hard. The differences will only be made, if they're big, uh, by teammates up the road as satellite riders or like a coos or benote staying in the group and some other rider having a terrible day or mignolti pulling tourmalet and dropping and then being able to keep pulling so say for example mignolti has perigude shape he can pull tourmalet he drops uh let's say he drops roglic vingegaard stays glued to his wheel he keeps it going pacing and, and in that scenario Roglic could lose a lot of time but otherwise it could the really terrifying scenario for this stage is there's small gaps on Tourmalet people sit up everyone comes back together in the valley no one gets dropped in the first 6k's of Quarteret a couple of people lose 20-30 seconds on the steep bit and it's just a, a group I think is a very plausible scenario uh, for this stage. I think if you're Movistar with Enric Mas in good shape, welter shape, to Enric Mas was per kilo in peak shape is better than Gudu. It's better than Lander. Mm-hmm. It's better than Carapaz. It's better than those riders. I think you need to be aggressive as well if you're Movistar on this on this stage um, to really fight for that podium spot because – Godou is much, much better than Mas in the punchy stages normally. Yeah, I think so as well. Now, the Stormalet stage will fold the race into a certain place after week one, but so far we haven't had a time trial. So far we had punchy stages on the first section. We had some, like a Marie Blanc stage, which is a medium mountain stage, I would argue, and then a proper mountain stage on the Tourmalet. Who do you think this benefits so far? these few stages we had. Pagacha. Um, <laughs> yeah, Pagacha, Roglic, Vingegaard is fine. Like, Vingegaard was good in Basque Country. Um, I think he's not bad in punchy stuff. I think 
the flatter finishes, though, to these punchy stages, like Laurent, for example, suit Pogaccia much, much more. I think there's a lot of bonus seconds that will be going to GC riders in these first six stages. I think bonus seconds are going to be crucial for this for this race because there might not be huge differences. And like stages seven and eight, there's no profiles. We're going to say they're sprint stages, transition they stages. They are? Okay. Stage nine, 184Ks, much heralded. There was big uh, applause in the crowd for this stage, which has sort of medium mountain but not that steep uh, before it. It's from... Saint Leonard de Noblat, Noblat to Puy de Dome, which is returning to the Tour de France. I don't think spectators can go on it. It's where the road wraps around the, um, it's like an, a volcano or something. It's a volcano. Okay. Uh, but will we see an explosion in the race? I don't think so. <laughs> um, because it's not that hard before. There's actually no probably category two even climb before. They're just cat threes. And then it's a stepped climb. The first five and a half K is seven percent, and then there is a flatter section, and then it is five K is eleven percent. So similar to uh, Marie Blanc, a little bit harder. In the end, it's fourteen K is seven point seven percent, but it's a Unipuerto effectively. I think we just see a watts per kilo test on the climb and a group of seven guys sprinting. Well, I think it's going to be more selective than seven guys at the end of this uh, stage. I think we're going to see the big guns against each other at the end of this. This reminds me as maybe a slightly easier version of Pigeon, uh, Primari, which we had in 2020, yes, where Roglic and Pogaccio were 1v1ing on the steeper sections towards the end. I think we'll see this, but with Roglic and Pogaccio, Vingago and perhaps one other rider or something that might pop at that level at that point in the race but i think this is going to be a bit more selective than seven guys sprinting for example i think it's going to come down to the latter section of this climb i am looking forward to this stage not going to lie not because of the history that oh, it hasn't been in the tour de france for i think 37 years the puy de dome climb and now it returns i think pulidor won on puy de dome at some point i think that was the part of the reason that there was so much hype in france for this to return but I will say, just the reminder of Pimari makes this intriguing for me. So that's what captivates me. And hey, what happened on Puy Marie? The 1v1 and Bernal cracking and Uran cracking. And uh, the Pogacar and Roglic were uh, finishing together, Roglic winning the stage. I, I thought that was good. I really enjoyed that stage. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Kamna got killed by Martinez. Didn't enjoy that. Um, <laughs> again, that was Roglic largely pacing for Pogaccio because he was happy to. What we, how we see it different on Puy de Dome? I don't know. Like, who's going to pace? I guess if you're UAE, if you're UAE, you can't let the break win, right? Because you want to get, you want to be stacking ten seconds up for Pogaccio over and over yep. again. So, if I'm UAE, I, I don't want the break winning any of these stages frankly um because when it comes down to an uphill sprint pagach is the favorite um on pleated dome but that's the first uh the last stage before the first rest day um where i don't know there could be big gaps who do you think 
like, do you think it's worth being? I think it's unavoidable being in yellow, Benji, unless you somehow let a Simon Geschke take yellow on uh, on the Tourmalet stage. Like, how do you avoid yellow whilst doing your best if you're Pagasha to stack up bonus seconds? I think trying to give it away on a Tourmalet stage is what I'm looking at as potential opportunities or. If on the Marie Blanc stage, someone took enough minutes to be still ahead True. at this point. But that's still going to be difficult to do. So I agree that it's likely to be a GC rider that's in yellow on this day. But maybe they can lose it on stage 10, which is from Vulcania, the first time they go there with the tour, to Iswar, which is a a breakaway stage. That's how I look at it. It's just a hilly stage. Uh, Fred right? Potentially. It's like, <laughs> it's like hills throughout. And then the yeah. last 10 kilometers are flatter. So what are we thinking when it comes to that? I'm thinking that we just have a breakaway formation phase of like yep. 30 kilometers, people trying to form a breakaway, a large break occurs, and then they fight for the stage wins. And I would argue, not only Fred Wright, Van der Poel, Binion. Ah, true, yeah, exactly. Like, Why try, why try and control this? If you're Pedersen... Pedersen, Binium, Intermarche, Alperson controlling this. Well, Alperson don't have the team to control this. So the only mm-hmm. option is to get in the break. Um, Mark Hirschi 2020 would have won this solo, but it doesn't exist. Oh, he'll be running for Pog. Yeah, I think breakaway. Lechnerson. DSM got to let Lechnerson go for this stage, I think. Um, I think he could be really good on it. And to be honest, they don't have much else apart from Bardet um but he should not be chained to Bardet uh, I don't think do you see I mean I guess there could be some I wouldn't be surprised if Pog is behind if he tries to make Yumbo nervous at the start um but yeah it's a transition stage uh I don't think too much will happen stage 11 they haven't given the profile we assume it's a flat sprint stage so we've had at least uh four sprints to this point before stage 12, which again, 170Ks, this looks a lot like the uh, Conrad Colbrelli Godou stage in the 2021 Tour de France where everyone won solo. 170Ks finishing in Belleville en Beaujolais from Rouen. It's, yeah, medium mountain, 4Ks, 5%, 4.5Ks, 6%. 6k 6% that's the order of the day the last major climb is 5k 7.7% that's 27k's from the finish i think it's a break again benji like who's going to who's going to control this that's let, let's let's assume say cuz bike exchange found an ally in yumbo visma to control the breakaway on stage 8 this year but this is now stage 12 who's going to help trek like if I'm Bex, Bling's got to get in the break. After a stage win this year from the break, I think this is break all day with those guys and Bling getting in the break instead of bike exchange trying to control if they've learned from this year's success. I think so as well. And the formation of the breakaway, that phase of the race will be the probably the most fun part of this stage. And then the final when the breakaway riders are fighting it against each other. That's how I see the stage so far. I agree that Amachis and Sothor should have a teammate trying to get him in the breakaway. Those type of riders should try and do that. But we'll also see perhaps the likes of a... I would have said a Conrad, but I'm pretty sure that Bora will be going all out for GC in this race and therefore not necessarily have a rider like that in the breakaway in a stage like this. 
And what names am I also looking at? Is this good enough for a Mohoric or are you thinking that it's not for that? Uh, yeah, I think so. If it's still a group of five or six after the last climb, he could attack. It's maybe, I don't, the mm. climbs are a little bit long. Yeah. I bet he all, it looks really good for him uh, if he did the Tour de France again. So, yeah, I think breakaway. And in terms of GC, 27Ks from the finish, the last climb, it's really tough to um, make and keep a difference there. I think so yeah onto stage 13 benji which is uh cron colombier again <laughs> we've got a stage from chatillon sur chalaron grand colombier as the finish it's a climb that we've seen quite a few times in the tour de france in uh 2020 for example and also in the tour de land that year remember that we had the tour de Land basically one of the biggest preparation races for the tour de france in 2020 we had roglic versus pogacar on that grand colombier and we also had it in the eventual Tour de France. Was it also in the Dauphiné? Probably not, I would expect. But it is the kind of stage that I'm not thinking that major gaps are going to follow because the last few times we saw, there were no major gaps. It was the best sprinting against each other in the last kilometer, and it was the tactics in the sprint that decided who the winner was. And if we take a look at this climb very closely, we've got a climb of roughly 17.5 kilometers, and the average is uh 7.1%. There's some steeper parts in there. We're looking at 12% sections, about 5k in the climb, about halfway the climb, and the last sprint section is also a bit steeper. So I fear that this is a climb where we we see team space on and then we see the best GC rider sprinting at the end of the climb. What do you expect? Yep, that's what's going to happen. I hate these stages. <laughs> <laughs> Because if if you're going to see GC riders in a sprint, at least I, I like the Basque stages where there's multiple climbs. There can be more tactics. Like this has got a warm up climb before, and then it's just going to be yeah some pacing. So there's even some flatter sections halfway, and then two thirds the way through Grand Colombier. I think this is where Bernal got dropped, but that's because he got dropped by Van Aert pacing because he was injured uh in the yeah. 2020 tour de france so it's not because <laughs> draft is still important yes the uh there are steep sections but they're at the start um i don't know again uae though 10 bonus seconds on offer uh yeah. so I, that's why i think bonus seconds will be really really important uh stage 14 is a little bit more interesting to me 152 and k's finishing in morzin uh, unfortunately, it's another descent finish. So this is a harder stage than the Grand Colombia stage, but it doesn't finish uphill. It's far from an amass. It has the Col du Jouplan as the main uh, feature, but there's it's a pretty hard stage before with four medium mountain climbs uh, ranging from 4Ks to 7Ks at 6 to 7% in the first 70Ks. So that's quite difficult, although I think a break will have gone. And then there's the Col de la Ramaz, which is 14K, 7%. That's over 30 minutes. And I believe the first part is steeper at about 8%, 9% sections. Then there's Descent, 10K Valley, and Jouplan, which is 12K, 8.3%. Has a little false sort of crest and then Descent. 
This is where Padun won in uh, his second stage win in the Dauphiné Stage 8 2021 last year. He lost a lot of time on the descent. He dropped uh, Conrad and Martin I think, yep. in the break. Ineos tried to pace for, can't remember who, Thomas or Port. No, Port. Both. Both. Hague attacked. And then this is the descent, I assume, where Thomas crashed in a hairpin. Um, so I don't know. It, it's a great stage for Pogaccia, but the descent makes it tough. Um, and the 10K Valley too. So it's the stage is... It's not that conducive to big gaps, I don't think, unless someone's having a terrible day. I think this is break again. I think uh, a fight on two fronts. We've got a breakaway formation phase that will be pretty mad with the full climbs you have in the first half of the race. I do enjoy seeing that because I noted in our Giro route reaction that a lot of these climbing stages in the Giro didn't have like climbs in the starting spot. So we would have lures right away and not necessarily climbers in the breakaway. Now we'll have a proper breakaway formation phase in this in this race so a first great hour of racing and then the Colorado Mass I think that's just a preparation climb to be honest if someone wants to take it up in the peloton that's where they might start pacing to make it a hard stage and then eventually they might try and do something on the Col de Juplain and depending on how hard they pace in the peloton it's either breakaway or peloton but I'm more leaning towards break but the way the race has shaped so far at this point in the race can define whether a peloton will be pacing on a stage like this or not we don't know that yet that's for uh, when the race is happening. I agree that Juplan's uh, pretty difficult and there's going to be GC action on it. But likely, there's not going to be the major gaps with that descent that follows after. Basically, I fully agree with what you were saying uh, so far about this stage. That's how I see this stage, for example. And when we take a look, we're now, we're now 14 days in. We're heading towards the final weekend. Once again, a... A medium mountain stage follows, and oh, sorry, this just, medium. Yeah, I, I just want you, you mentioned the descent neutralizing. I just want to explain, give it an example of why that is the case. Murder Pagur stage this year in the Tour de France. Jonas Vingegaard's in yellow. He has a two-minute lead. He has Vanard up the road. He has Coos pacing really hard. He doesn't attack on the steep climb with Pagatcha. Yeah, not looking that good. Why not? Because descent afterwards, he's in yellow, two-minute lead, technical sections. Why are you going to try and gain 20 seconds risking crashing if you're in yellow? And so if the yellow jersey won't attack, well, then say Pagacha's in yellow at this point. He's taking all the bonus seconds. I mean, he does like to attack, but is he going to attack on Col de Jupiter? It's a lot of effort. Maybe he would. He likes to attack, but... The risk reward is is so much worse with the descent finish. To gain fifteen seconds, you got to hold that for twelve k's. That's why the descent finishes, and the reason we have them is because the finish towns pay money more than the top of a an empty hill where no one lives. Um, but that's why. Anyway, sorry, Benji. Stage fifteen. Stage fifteen is a stage that starts in Leger and finishes in Saint Gervais. Uh, on the Mont Blanc, basically. We've got a parkour of 180 kilometers, and the first half of this race is just break formation and a break getting a gap. And then in the second half, there's possibility for action in the peloton, where with about uh, 70 kilometers to go, we start the Col de la Croix-Fruit, which is 12 kilometers at 7%. Small descent, going straight into the Col des Aravis, which is 4.6 kilometers at 6%. And then we've got a, a descent that leads into a, 
uh, a valley of 12 kilometers, then a descend again, and then we start the final climb. So what I see when it comes to this parkour so far is that we might have people that try and put a satellite rider in the breakaway. And if they're crazy enough, they might try something on the Col de la Coiffie. But I think it's more unlikely to happen on a stage like this. Saint-Germain-Mont-Blanc, the final climb, 7.3 kilometers at 7.8%. And when I look at the climb itself, I think it starts off at 11%. We've got it flattening out a bit after a kilometer and a half. And we've got a small descent, and then we start kicking it up again in the last through three, three and a half kilometers, starting off at 11.1%, 9.7%, 6.6%, and 7.5%. So I think this is a Pogacar style finish. We're saying this a lot, aren't we? A Pogacar style finish. Because if the Peloton goes to the finish here, he's the most likely candidate today. Bonus seconds here. So a Yumbo will want a stage like this to go to the break, when the UAE will want the stage like this to go to the peloton but is he going to pace every single day to get every single one of these bonus seconds well that's the thing because you've got the cold de la low stage on 17 staring down their face you know will they be happy with a 20 second lead before the tt in cold de la lows or will they be worried that's where yumbo could launch launch a raid or Jonas could be superior on the longer climb uh, I think this this course also suits Vlasov, who I think is appears to be weaker on the longer climbs at top level, but he's a very punchy rider. I think Leonard Kamner type rider will win this from the break because it's a long time to control 100Ks before the Calder Lacroix free 12K 7% yeah. for serious climb. So I think break gets a healthy buffer. Um, and then there's like that flat plateau for ages. Like, who is going to want to pace there? So I think break. Um, and in that sense, if the break is gone and there's no bonus seconds, does this then the GC group? No one bothers pacing hard because why would UAE pace? Super? I mean, they did on <laughs> Majev and Morjan stage absolutely bizarre this year. Um, but I think they won't do that again. And so I think GC, nothing might happen. Um, I hope I'm wrong. But yeah, that's stage 15 before the second and last rest day. I think should be should be still tight gaps at this point. And that's what the race organizers hope for. And I can see, you know, when Pagatch took the big lead in 2021, uh, it was rather difficult to get people to be interested in the highlight videos uh, of week three so hopefully we still have small gaps at this point for stage 16 yes it's only 22 and a half k's of time trialing and this is the time trial we have uh from passe to comble but it's much harder than a 30k flat tt there's like 600 meters of climbing in this 650 like 30 meters roughly of climbing per kilometer first climb is 1.3 k's nine percent then sort of step descent about eight k's of flat before a 2.7 k 8.9 percent climb and then it's a bit flatter sort of four percent afterwards to the finish um uh, this is a difficult one for bike changes uh i Ooh. because 
there's the initial climb, but then you've got the eight, nine Ks of flat and false flat after with the descent. So you've actually got 14, no, 12 Ks, can't count, of where the time trial bike will be far superior. And then is the climb long enough or steep enough to merit changing? Um, so this that's a really difficult one. I think on balance, this will be TT bikes um, for the whole time. And... I don't care that there's not much time trialing in this tour, to be honest. Uh, I think it's a fair point. I do want to say first, this time trial, having 650 altitude meters in 22 kilometers is the reason that Stefan Kuhn, Filippo Ganna and Sethov should avoid this Tour de France like the plague and should go to the Giro instead because that will be a good combination with their world's ITT as well. And next to that, there's just not that much to work with for them on a race like this. So this time trial is not for flat time trialists. This is for the GC-like time trialists of the world. And we're looking at a Pogacar, Vingegaard, Eroglitch, those type of riders. And even a pool if he magically shows up as well on this race. So that's clear. I agree with the bike change. It's pretty odd. Like 9% would be the gradient at which you say, oh, I'm going to switch to a, a, a road bike instead of a time trial bike. But the length of the the climbs only being 2.9 kilometers at 9% and so forth makes it that you're starting to doubt. And the fact that there's multiple climbs makes it that you're not going to do multiple bike changes in the same time trial. So it's fascinating. We'll be curious to see what teams will do on this when it comes to those. I think a lot of smart people, smarter than me when it comes to the calculations, will figure that out in their sense. But yeah. What else can we say? Time trial kilometers? What do I say about the 22 kilometer time trial kilometers in the Tour de France 2023? I don't mind it necessarily because it basically makes it so that the pure climbers have a better chance of podiuming the Tour de France, which I'm fine with because the best GC riders have similar time trial capabilities anyway so we're not going to have major gaps in that sense anyway right exactly all the if you have 80 k's of tt probably there will be some differences between rollish finger guard and pagacha um but all that means is that mass Godu, carapaz lander out just yeah gc done like not even no one needs to follow their attack ever if you're the top slovenians in vingegaard uh, Thomas is the sort of edge case where Thomas needs those TTKs. So I think it's very clear that Thomas should do the Giro yep. um, because Godou is a little bit punchier. So yeah, he's Remco's the interesting one where you would say, oh, well, he needs the TTKs, but in the Vuelta, he showed he can climb at top level. I think the route and the tour otherwise quite you know suits him. I think the Giro, and we'll talk about Remco in a second, uh, who I actually think will, I think Mars could do quite a good TT here. Um, Rodriguez will be interesting to see whether he goes to the Tour or Sivakov yeah. or Gaganhardt or who in send. Rodriguez? Yeah, but like so far we've spoken about Rodriguez and so far we've spoken about Pogacar. I usually was set to go to the Vuelta alone in 2023. When I look at this parkour, I'm also thinking that Ayuso can podium this Grand Tour. Yeah, of course. Ayuso is the chosen one. Like, <laughs> if you didn't see, um, we've got an article on Lantern Rouge, which uh, Eurosport Spain put through. They just copied 
the text control a control c put it in google translate and then put it on their website in spanish i guess that's how it works um but it's about one of you so and how at 19 years old i don't think there's ever been a climber that good he well no i i definitely don't think unless there was someone in the 60s that could do those numbers which i very much doubt even a pole out the rooks pagatcha at 19 we're not doing the same level performance remember pagatcha in the world to 2020 no 2019 was a year older than ayuso so yeah. let's assume he improves 0.01 percent well yeah that's pretty good um and so, yeah, I think just sending him to the Vuelta is, I'd be very surprised. Uh, but, yeah, that's the TT. I think Roglic wins it. The biggest issue with Ayuso going to the Tour de France would be that his qualities are similar to Pogaccio when it comes to the uphill sprint at the end of a climb. Because tactics-wise, what are you going to do? Have them both sprint at the same time? Well, they probably would, but... Pogaccio should lead out Ayuso. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm not okay with that <laughs> statement. <laughs> no. Ayuso is the one man. Nah. <laughs> he is, the, anyway. he is amazing, but I still think that Pogacar is a level higher at the moment. What I want is, right, I want Ayuso there. I want Bora to take Otobrooks. He's their best GC rider. <laughs> I want uh, Avonapol there. I want... Um, that child Yumbo just signed, who probably the skier. Not in Hagen. Yeah, what is he? Sixteen? Uh, yeah. No, he's like twenty eighteen. I think. Um, yeah, I think UAE send Morgado, the Portuguese man with the porn star mustache. Herzog. I just want Herzog. Um, yeah. I want all the young talents. I want all the talents there, and then Thomas can clean the Giro. Uh, that suits me very fine. So, anyway. TT, uh, it means that no Ghana at the Tour de France. That's for damn sure. But Benji, the next stage, the hardest stage of the Tour is uh, stage 17, the last proper high mountain stage and sort of one of two and a half high mountain stages in the whole race. Exactly. We have a a parkour of 166.5 kilometers on this stage 17, starting in Saint-Germain-Mont-Blanc. Basically, where we finished on the Mont Blanc stage two days earlier, a stage that goes towards Courchevel, Altipour. Now, that doesn't define much so far, but it's the climbs in between that say a lot. We start off with uh, 11 kilometers of flat, then we start the Col de Saisie, which is 15.5 kilometers, 5.2%. Then the next climb is Cormeto Rosalon, 5.9 kilometers, 6.6% is the last part of it, but the full climb is 21 kilometers long of 6.1%. So a quite a long climb, attrition going into the legs of the riders, and these first two climbs will be part of the break formation phase of this stage. Second half of the stage, the last 80 kilometers start with another climb, which is the uh, Côte de Longfoy, 6.7 kilometers, 6.7.5%, a descent with a 2, 3 to 5 kilometer valley before we start the uh, biggest climb of this Tour de France. I think that's safe to say. Code La we saw it the first time in 2020, where we saw the likes of Roglic and Lopez drop uh, Pogacar. I think Kuz was also very viable on that stage. Lopez ending up winning that queen stage of that Tour de France. And it basically was a magnificent finish because the last two kilometers of this Code La are incredibly steep. 
And I think that's what makes it great next to the fact that it goes up to high altitude, 2,264 meters. But it doesn't end at the top, 27.9 kilometers, 6%, but then it's got a descent of, what is it, 5 to 7 kilometers. And then we've got a 1 kilometer, 6.9% ramp into Courchevel. Why don't they finish this damn thing at the top of Col d'Alors? Like, money. Didn't you hear the Courchevel people in their Courchevel puffer jackets cheering yesterday during this, <laughs> this, this stage review? That's why. They do two laps of Courchevel. I, this is, I think the start of this is also easier than the 2020 Tour de France Col d'Alors. I think the approach is slightly different. Um, they're doing two laps. They go through Courchevel twice. So, yeah. Um, I think Rosalind is the descent McNulty crashed on North Sudet, which is in this stage here. Yeah. Um, there's long valleys between that, though, and um, the medium mountain Cote de Longfois. So it should all be group O compact. I think it's going to be group all together with 150Ks to go for the last ramp of 10Ks, 8.7%. And then we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think, yes, it's a, it's a descent finish, but it's only 7Ks. And if you've made a significant difference, uh, you have to try. You, you have to try here. Um, you don't really have any choice. So this is the last really, apart from stage 20, this is the last chance to make big gaps in the high mountains, particularly if you're like an Enric Maas who might come into the race. He gets better in the third week. So, yeah. Um, like I don't, it's not the best stage I've ever seen. Um, but it's not the worst either. Stuff could happen. Depends on the riders. I think when I take a look at this parkour, we have the Côte de la Lose. The last part of the Côte de la Lose is the steepest part. We mentioned already the last five kilometers is twelve point four percent, eleven point two, and so forth. But I swear there was a two twenty two percent section or something in the middle of that somewhere. If my mind serves me right, but that's so hard that. People will likely wait until the Cola Los to make stuff happen. They might make the race harder beforehand due to attrition, due to riding harder on the climbs before pacing and so forth. But there's not much to work with to try and launch attacks on people and completely blow up the race beforehand. And that's my fear here with a queen stage like this. I've said it so many times before. I love my queen stages when they've got the second last climb being the major one to high altitude. The last climb being about eight kilometers or 8 to 12 kilometers at like 10 to 12 stage. percent. Crans for example, Granol, for example, and Alpe d'Huez after a major climb. Those type of stages I love as a queen stage because it forces people or it gives people the opportunity of going on the second last climb. With Col de la basically being the last major climb in this stage, I'm not fucking counting Courchevel, like, let's be honest about that. They're going to wait until Corralos, most likely. And yeah. that's what I don't like about this parkour. That's what I didn't like about the Fedaya stage in the Giro in 2022. And that's my take on that so far. And I hope that we've got a team that blows it up early. But looking at this parkour, I think it's less likely. Oh, uh, you can't. Like, it's 80 Ks from the top of Rosalind to the start of. Yeah the Lowe's climb and then Lowe's has four or five Ks recovery in the middle of it. You, you can't go there. Um, you'll blow your team up. So 
I think this is the stage of the climb where the famous Mikko Lander face appeared because Bahrain, to their credit, <laughs> um, where he looked at the camera terrified, they paced really hard on um, the Colo Low stage 18, 2020 tour and the Glier stage as well. Uh, yeah, it'll be whoever's strongest on Lowe's, they'll attack. Lopez. And... Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay. This is where Vingegaard. I mean, it's not as high as Grenoble yeah. either. This is where Vingegaard will have to try, I guess, if he's behind or Roglic. Anyway, uh, stage nineteen. There's no eight, so there's not two mountain stages, proper mountain stages in the last week. By the way, that's the last proper mountain stage on stage seventeen. Stage eighteen, which was remember this year was Heragud, and then Outercam. This uh, and then sixteen was Tefoir, which is quite hard. Um, 18 we don't have a profile for and so I think it's just a transition stage stage 19 is the Morich Pollitt Sweeney classic transition stage not too much to say about it 170 k's uh, 20 Benji this is kind of the substitute last mountain stage which it, it is pretty hard yes that is true Stage 20 of this Tour de France, Belfort to Le Markstein. You will see that this has some indication that they copy-pasted some parts from the Tour de France final stage of 2022. It starts off with a climb pretty early in the race, Ballon del South, 11.5 kilometers, 5.3%. It's a shorter stage, 133 kilometers. So don't expect major valleys in between the climbs. And we see that because we've got a small valley before we start. What reminds me of that Vuelta stage, Plataforma de Gredos, because this is not one climb the next 40 kilometers. The next 40 kilometers is basically four smaller climbs following each other up with small descents in between, very similar to that Plataforma de Gredos stage in the Vuelta at some point in the past. And then we've got a descent of roughly 17 kilometers to the final two climbs of the stage. So we're now with 33 kilometers to go. The final two climbs start Petit Ballon, 9.2 kilometers, 8.2%. Relatively hard climb. So there's still stuff to work with, but you're not going to make the major differences on this climb, for example. Col du Platz de Wassel is the next one, which starts with about 15 kilometers to go. And that is 7.1% at 8.3, uh, no, 17, 7.1 kilometers at 8.3%. Finishing Le Markstein after a, uh, a small flat section of roughly six seven kilometers to the finish line so this looks like a medium mountain stage i think this is their attempt at having a raid stage in this in this tour de france i think there's some opportunities for that with the first climb being early on to make it hard there's some platforms to launch on later on but a strong team should be able to control the stage like this it's as simple as that so i think this is a pretty straightforward stage where I don't see the race exploding NGCs already over before this stage. Uh, I disagree. I, I think okay. these climbs are quite hard. I mean, I know at Tour de France Fam, if you want to see the exact finish of this, it's stage seven last year. Van Vleuten won by three and a half minutes. Uh, this That stage did the, yeah, did Ballon and Platz of Arsenal, and they went through the finish line that we do here um, on the plateau. I, I think... You remember Col de Perisud? That yeah. was um, the same length, 20-minute climb, 22-minute climb. Petit Ballon, I think, is closer to 30-minute climb, maybe 27 minutes. These are 
8%, 8.3% with steeper sections, with 5K, 9% sections of Ballon. They're over 20 minutes. I know there is the plateau at the end of 6Ks, um, but they're long enough uh, to, to try something, I think. And with McNulty pacing, this reminds me a lot of um, that Perigude stage, actually. Where McNulty just shredded the group, and well, Bjerg first did it, and then McNulty did it on a parkour that was, yeah, I don't think too dissimilar. I think this is beefed up medium mountain plus plus plus. It's obviously not the high mountains because we're, we're not in the Alps anymore we're in the Vosges region, but I think medium mountain, it is, you know, that's maybe underselling it a little bit. I, I think my problem with it is like. It's not a substitute for a proper high mountain stage, queen stage, like you said, Benji, yep. which we wanted to see. You know, the Vuelta 20, that had that amazing stage where Bahrain and Ineos went on the attack. Well, that was preceded by, I think, maybe I'm misremembering through rose-tinted glasses, but that had, you know, Lagos de Covadonga in the third week. Uh, it had... I have to check because someone's going to be like, no, it was really soft. No, it had had Kovadonga and Haimonoteru in the third week. And then they had that crazy medium mountain stage. So we're missing that one. And I don't think this is an, an adequate substitute uh, for that. But if you're behind, if you've got a strong team, I think you can try here. Um, but yeah, the draft is still important. So satellite riders yeah now i'm talking myself out of it i think if carapaz is behind on gc it's the sort of stage he wins from the break easily (laughs) i'll i kind of stick with my with my initial thoughts here i think that's it this is not hard enough compared to the cordelado stage for example to do significant differences and if the riders are still on similar levels then we won't see major differences here what, it, what does intrigue me on this stage is like having the flat part, the last seven kilometers flat after the climb to Lamarckstein, then I'm like, oh, I kind of enjoy that because if you drop, you still need to pace on the flat for quite a while and you might lose time if it's a larger group ahead or you might gain time if you're behind with a larger group. So we might see a nice chase in that final of that race. So that's the only intrigue I see here next to the opportunity for a raid but i don't necessarily i don't know it's pretty it's not saying much this parkour and you said it it's not a a replacement of a a big queen stage and so forth and we can say what we want about it but the riders make the race and they can make this race interesting if they really play their hand towards it but will the race be in a, a certain position where there will be intrigue or reason for certain teams to take it on that's the question the race will answer and we don't know that yet but i'm afraid that's my take on this uh this stage so far and the last one's pretty simple right Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées sprint jakobsen um he should have an easier time getting around this course this year uh so maybe he won't get a mechanical on the final stage um uh, but yeah Champs-Élysées final and then uh, we won't see it for a year. We'll then have the final stage in Nice. I think it's rumoured to be in 24 because the Paris Olympics. Um, so that's the route. I would say the big mountain stages to watch out for, if you really have to say they're must-watch, is stage 17, Col de la Lose. That could be a bit boring and a flop. 
if you know nothing too much happens. And then Tourmaline week one? Tourmaline stage six. That's it. Two of them. All the rest significantly depend on the attitude of the teams, the GC position, who is back, who is behind, who is ahead, uh, because they do offer something, but like, yeah, it, it's really dependent on the team. Whereas the Giro Parkour, you have those three mountain stages. I mean, and maybe they will disappoint. Maybe they're too hard and nothing will happen. Um, but yeah, I, I would say I'm not the biggest fan of this route. I think it's really missing an iconic stage. I think you speak to anyone. I was speaking to people before the event yesterday. And everyone wants to speak about Col de Grenoble stage. People say, most beautiful, you know, beautiful stage or one of the best stages I've seen in a long time. Multiple people said that. I was talking about it. And yet we don't have any stage like that in the Tour. And the thing is they do these routes. They don't – the Tour de France this year doesn't finish in July and then they start to make the route for next year. This route was being figured out years ago. So to be honest, this route and that – this is not how they do the routes, but if I'm putting the – conspiracy hat on it looks like a reaction to Alaphilippe's 2019 near victory at the tour and they've made it for Julien Alaphilippe GC which obviously doesn't exist anymore but remember 2020 is when this route is getting prepared 2021 I'm not necessarily seeing that I do see the opportunity for an Alaphilippe to take yellow at the first part of this of this grand tour in that Basque country stage period but the likes of Cold La Lose, I wouldn't say that Alaphilippe is going to get destroyed there. So I agree that it's a parkour that leans more towards the riders like uh, a Bardet, a Martin, a Godu, and an Alaphilippe when it comes to GC, having limited time trial kilometers and limited crazy mountain stages to put them on seven minutes. So that is clear. The issue that I have with this parkour is the final week. The Cold La Lose stage, I've said it multiple times in this podcast already. The major climb needs to be the second last climb to incentivize GC riders to launch early. And you need to have a proper climb afterwards for that damage to actually lead to gaps. That is not the case on this, so it will likely be fought on the Cold La Lose climb. Could be wrong, but that's how I view the parkour at the moment. After that, whoever figured out that two consecutive sprint stage and week three was a good idea deserves to go to jail for 15 years at least like i don't understand the point of that entertainment levels are nowhere to be seen in my view when it comes to sprint stage in week three i do agree that a stage 21 and one stage extra next to that would encourage sprinters to stay in the grand tour but adding another one next to that three sprint stage in the final four stages Come on, guys, like, that's overkill. That's pure overkill. And then stage 20 is not necessarily the the stage 20 I want to uh, see in a ground tour. It can be fought upon, but I don't see significant differences happening on it. And I agree. Parkour is not really shouting, oh, this is a wonderful parkour. I love it. I look forward to every single stage of these. There's limited, amazing mountain stages available. And... The parkour's success will heavily depend on what the riders do with it. That's the case all the time. But most of the time, the parkour is at least a bit more likely to result in action than this parkour. And even the tourmalade stage, major climb, but Coltrane is a bit meh. 
regardless of that, it's still the second most likely stage for notable gaps to happen, which says a lot about this parkour. And I don't know, I'm just a bit disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I saw the parkour initially. I thought, are we missing a few mountain stages? Like, have they forgot something? Then I wormed my way into the preparation of this podcast and I looked at the park and I was like, there's some good parts to it. But now having done the podcast, I'm like, I'm not certain this is the parkour I wanted. And I'm disappointed in the parkour and I hope that the riders make the race because the Pogacars, the Vanderpools, the Wildfinars, the Rolage, the Vingegaards of this world, those are the riders that make races. And we've seen that in recent years and let's hope they do it again in 2023 because this parkour will need it. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said there. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. That's the route. The final question we have, I think it's pretty polarized where the TT riders go. I think Demar will come to this Tour de France. But the big question is, will Remco Evenepoel, we saw Lefebvre there in attendance yesterday at the route reveal, will Remco, their world champion at Quickstep, do the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia? Uh, mixed messaging coming out of there. I think Remco might have said they'd already decided. Lefebvre said we decide in December or January. Um, there's not too many time trial kilometers. I don't think that's the biggest issue. There's lots of time trial kilometers in the Giro, but there's also very, very big high mountain stages in the Giro and the possibility of bad weather and cold conditions is much, much higher than in the Massif Central in July. Should he do the Giro? Or the Tour Benji, winner of La Vuelta, winner of Liège, winner of Worlds. Winner of San Sebastian, important when it comes to the Tour de France in 2023, because True. the first stage is starting Basque Country with a mini San Sebastian stage in there. But that being said, I personally want him at the Giro. And I know this is a controversial topic. Some people want him at the Tour de France, some people want him at the Giro d'Italia. And... The reason that the Giro works out, in my opinion, is that one, the time trial kilometers versus the riders that are going to be there. Uh, Thomas is likely going to be there. But outside of Thomas, I'm not really seeing riders, GC riders with major time trial capabilities next to those two that are not the Pogacars, Vingegaard and Roglic's of this world that will likely go to the Tour de France. So I see Evenepoel Thomas as the duo when it comes to GC riders with TT capabilities at the Giro d'Italia and likely some other riders that will be more the climbing times without that TT capability. And then you started out, where will a Vlasov go? Where will a Hindley go? That's something we have to see. But when it comes to Remco, the Giro parkour, it fits except for the major queen stages. The Kranz Montana stage is a stage that I has not done before that type of stage. Such a significant level, 5,000 plus altitude meters. The one time that a stage like that was supposed to be in the Giro that he rode, it got basically cancelled with the Pordoi getting out of that race and so forth, and another climb getting out, and eventually we only had Passo Jao in that stage. Now, we also have the same with the Trecime di Lavaredo stage, and we noticed that because... That is also the kind of stage with such significant amount of altitude meters that the Demko hasn't done it before. These two stages are the challenges for him at the Giro, and the rest of the parkour fits him, I would say. The rest of the parkour works out. The time trial kilometers can give him an advantage for those harder stages. 
I think that still is a very viable idea to send him to that Giro d'Italia. His team doesn't need to be as strong as it needs to be at the Tour de France. And on paper, he can definitely compete for the victory at the Giro d'Italia if he shows up. When it comes to the Tour de France, I'm not immediately talking about can he win the Tour de France. I think he can compete with a Pogacar, a Vingegaard and a Roglic on a mountain stage, for example. But can he do so across three weeks of a Grand Tour with the fact that they're all good time trialists. So even if the time trial kilometers were there, there wouldn't be a gigantic difference made in them. I think Remco would still take time on the Roglic, on a, on a Pogacar and so forth in time trials in the Tour de France. But it wouldn't be that significant of a factor. So even if it had 50 kilometers of time trial, I would likely have still pointed to the Giro. The question is more of, do we see him able to win the Giro? I say yes. Do we see him able to win the Tour de France? With a team of Quickstep surrounding him in 2023, I'd say no. And as a consequence, I'd rather see him win the Giro than get third, fourth, or fifth at the Tour de France. I think Tali Pagacci was asked for his thoughts on this yesterday, and he said um, that if he was the world champion, uh, he could not imagine not doing the Tour de France. So, and I agree. I think <laughs> you don't know how long your peak window is. You're the world champion. This might be a once-in-a-career opportunity to do the Tour de France as world champion in peak condition. And so I think he should do the Tour de France even though he can win the Giro later. He can win the Giro when he's 30. Um, Tour de France, you don't know how long your peak is. So I think you should do the Tour. I think the Quick Step team is actually okay for this route. I disagree. Because it, they have Alaphilippe, Vivarca. There's not so many big high mountains. Um, they got Van Wilder. I think it's okay. It would be more of a problem if there were loads of big high mountain stages like Granol stage. I wouldn't expect many of them to be that <laughs> halfway through Telegraph. So I think it's fine. Basque Country is fine. He can try and win in different ways, um, being aggressive. So, yeah, I think he should do the Tour because I don't – I think third of the Tour is pretty good, actually. Um, and if he loses the Giro, if he doesn't win the Giro, it's a huge underperformance. And if he comes third of the Tour, I think that's fine. I agree with that statement, but that would – if you don't go to the Giro because you're afraid of losing the Giro, then it's the same as Wout van Aert not going to the ITT because he's afraid of not winning the ITT World Championships before he goes to the road race. I feel like that's the exact same behavior, and I don't like that idea behind it. So you've got to have the confidence if you're Remco that you can win the Giro if you show up. I will say I disagree with your quick step part because when it comes to the factor of the strength of the team, Alaphilippe has his personal goals. He'll want to try and get yellow in the first two days. We have Jakobsen, who will try and be the sprinter in that team, who will likely want their lead out at that race. What is Quickstep going to do? Send their sprinters to the Giro and the Vuelta? They're not going to be okay with that. Like, of course, the sponsor values an Emco more. The team should value an Emco more. But I think it fits much better in the long-term plans of Quickstep if this year still they have... 
Jakobsen with Alaphilippe at the Tour de France, Remco at the Giro, spread that across the two Grand Tours. Merlier can do whatever is left at this point. <laughs> and then the year after, you can get rid of one of the sprinters. You can make sure that Remco has a proper team for the Tour de France and go all out there. Alaphilippe, sorry, mate, but you don't fit in those plans to go for your own goals at the Tour de France then anymore. That's how I see that. Do we disagree with that, Dick? Well, yeah, I mean, why sign Molière and have Jakobsen if, you, if you're not going to send them to the Tour, one of them to the Tour? And yeah, they'll probably... The easiest decision is Remco Giro, sprinter plus Alaphilippe for the Tour de France, try and win three plus stages. Maybe Alaphilippe can win polka dots on a punchy course like this with few HC climbs. Um, and go for that. That's probably the easiest way. Everyone on the team's happy. But yeah, I just I just think Remco. You're not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy. No. But, well, it also where does it fit in with World Championships? Remember, World Championships next year is very soon after the Tour de France, before the Vuelta. It's in August. So, will people who do the Giro and all classics who then wait for the work for worlds have an advantage. I don't think worlds being so soon after will mean that someone like Vanderpool will skip the tour de France um, when there's so many suitable stages. And if I'm Wout van Aert and you can't have anything more than co-leadership with Avonapol, the world's course in Glasgow, I don't think you can, base your whole season around the worlds either. So I would send him to the tour. Um, but yeah, even a pool, you, you only get so many chances. Bad luck. No one's immune from bad luck. So you got to keep taking uh, taking out bats. And um, I think he can take his Giro reps later in his career. Nibley won, Nibley won Giro late in his career, didn't he? 13, yeah, Nibley won the Giro twice, mate. Come on. Hey, he wasn't that old. He was, 30, he was 32. I was just, how old was he? 32 when he won that Giro. Um, who was, it was the last Grand Tour Froome one, wasn't it? So, yep. I'm just looking down the Giro winners <laughs> in the last 10 years. Contador, Hegedal, Nibali, when he was when he was under thirty, Quintana, Contador, twenty fifteen, when he was over thirty, I think, Nibali, thirty two, Dumoulin, Froome, twenty eighteen, when he was a little bit older, thirty three, Carapaz, when he was, no, he's not that old. There's been younger guys, so that doesn't fit my theory anymore. Carapaz, Gagenhart, <laughs> Bernal, Hindley. Um, <laughs> Last four editions, been people under twenty, under thirty, I think. So that's no under good twenty. Theory. Under yeah, he is well, a, or is he, he twenty so already? Are you, uh, he's twenty now. He turned yeah. it up during or after the world tour. Um, but yeah, we'll see. That'll be uh, an emergency pod. Maybe will Cavendish be at the tour bench? And which team will Mark Cavendish be on? And does he break the stage wins record? You want to argue, actually, if you take a look at the parkour that was made here by ASO for the Tour de France 2023, that it's got eight sprint stages. That's a lot of sprinting opportunities. That is made for a potential Cavendish breaking that record I don't care at all about, which is the Eddie stage win record. Like, you would argue that if he finds a team that they're likely going to have access and he's going to be there, 
if BNB's there and he's at BNB, then they're going to try and make some kind of sprint train with the riders that they were rumored to have next year, which is single number, case ball of this world, and so forth. So all that could end up being a, yeah, I think, I think this Tour de France could lead to that victory for Mark Cavendish. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see a lot of sprinters that are happy with this parkour. I think DeMar goes to the Tour, like you said. Yeah. Should Ineos sign Cavendish? I think we'll see how serious Cavendish is about breaking that wins record or whether he wants to just get a big bag of cash and cash in on a good couple of years at quick step. Uh, I think it's, you know, if you take a discount and go to Bora or Ineos, I mean, Ineos signed Viviani on decent money, I think so. Who knows? But like, what else have Ineos got, Benji? Thomas will do the Giro. Shouldn't Ineos sign Cav and go Cav? British All-Stars team, Cavendish, Pitcock, Clock, um, Hater, and just try to win stages. Pitcock, it's not a it's a pretty good route for him, I think. Try to get top five GC or Bora. He should Bora try and sign Cavendish. I think when it comes to Bora, they've got their idea of the Hindley and Vlasovs of this world and will likely combine that in a in a Tour de France team in some shape or form. Higita perhaps even could show up at the Tour de France. So I think they're most likely to be going GC-based in that team. And they have their sprinter with Bennett that they're going to try and focus on winning two Velta stages this year. Might have given them the confidence to try and get him as the main sprinter again for next season. And they still have some bubble for that train. So that works out for them. Now, they could sign Cavendish and they could have him sprint there. But I'm more intrigued by your Ineos idea, to be honest. I do think that Rodriguez is likely going to be at the Tour de France. I... Would also argue that a Pitcock is destined to be there, that the likes of support for those riders is going to be there. But Viviani isn't that team. I don't think he rode a Grand no, Tour Viviani's in 2022. So he's not likely to ride a Tour de France again. Will they send them with Thomas to the Giro? I don't really know if Thomas would like that. So there's also that aspect to it. So while I would like the idea for Cavendish to just show up at Ineos and them sending him to the Tour de France with a lead out and them getting the British hype about it, that would be a great storyline, but I don't see it happening. Probably not. Probably they don't want to pay you know, what he wants. And I think what's more likely is we'll see him at a team that wants... So Israel, for example, the incentive for them is marketing of course but it might make it more likely they get the discretionary invitation from the aso if they have cavendish and Froome um on the team and it's not 2013 but uh, that's probably their thinking and for signing cavendish bnb maybe he's already signed and it's just no one can say anything until the sponsor stuff gets resolved and they obviously they don't have an automatic wild card but they're politically a lock as the only French pro Conti team not automatically invited to get one of the two discretionary invites. So I think the BNB, I think he's more likely to win a stage on BNB actually uh, than on Israel, if that's where he goes. So we'll see um, where Cavendish ends up. And I think he'll be trying to get the best of both worlds, which is a decent contract and Tour de France access with, a half decent lead out train. Um, and so, yeah, with all these sprint stages, I would certainly like Cavendish to be there or Sagan to be in good shape because um, I can't watch 
Groeneveg and Jakobsen and Philipsen sprint against each other eight times and care. Hope Wuhani's there. Yeah, he was at the presentation. He should be. Uh, Quintana's not on RK anymore, so uh, I would say Buhani should be there. Uh, he had bad luck with injuries this year, and yeah, maybe he spices things up. Uh, Lecoq, good, good course for Lecoq, actually. Uh, some of the yeah. Basque stages, the third one's quite good for him. Anyway, we, last we do course. see when it comes to the sprints that the Tour de France went for the more more mainstreams. We don't have the pro of all the falls for every single one. But based on the rumors, it's relatively flat, the sprint stage, compared to the Giro, who's trying to spice it up every sprint stage with a mountain in the middle of the stage. So that's a very big difference between the Giro and the Tour when it comes to those sprint stages. And that's why this race, the Tour de France, will most likely attract those pure sprinters compared to the versatile ones, is what I'd say. So, yeah, Gaviria will not be at this race because Ackermann will not be at this race because Pogacar and Safova are aiming for GC. But... Yeah, those are my last thoughts on the sprint stages, to be honest. Nothing crazy except for the fact that I am looking forward to the sprint stages. I hope there are straight lines with no corners in the last 200 meters, and we'll see if that happens next Tour de France. Yep, and we'll see the green jersey points allocation. Uh, but I think still probably if Wout goes for it, he'll be the heavy favorite, unless Philipson um, has a it's good strategy. Close. But pure sprint close. stages, eight? Going to be close. We'll see. Anyway, that was the route recap or reaction. Don't have all the profiles, but we did our best. Let us know down below or on Twitter or wherever at Lantern Rouge CP what you think of the route, what you'd like to see in it. Are you happy with it? Um, and do you agree with our reaction to it? But thanks as always to Zwift for supporting the show and you as well. And we'll see you with the women's recap tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 